Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 319. This this Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Ag Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from dealer, an auction, or private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. I have got Tanner M. Key back on here from CoBank to talk about what's happening over in the marketplace. So, Tanner, how you doing, man? Doing great, Casey. Great to be back again. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas. It's going to be cold. So, this, this is the coldest Christmas I think I can remember. Well, I mean, I guess really like leading up to Christmas are cold. Christmas yeah. Day is too terrible bad, but negative yeah, nine. Yeah, it's going to be pretty chilly. Yeah. Negative nine is going to be really cold. So looking forward to that. And that's just, that's the hot part of the day. So looking forward <laughs> to that. So. <laughs> you reindeer fly in that kind of weather? I don't know. I mean, that's that's pretty tough. going to be, that wind chill is going to be something. I can tell you what, it's going to. They might lose one or two. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't want to tell my daughter that we, we had to postpone uh, Christmas because it was so cold during their kids. <laughs> That'll go over well. That would be <laughs> my kids, dude. Don't be like. <laughs> but yeah, be... A failure in parenting right there. Yeah. I, sometimes I do that stuff for a good laugh and it's not really. <laughs> it's funny for a minute, then it gets old quick, I guess. But. <laughs> all right so we've got we got a couple things happening right now one we've got you know obviously the fed came out last week and raised interest rates um it, the thing about jay powell kills me a little bit is what is what he says during during the uh the fed conference where they raised rates and then what he says after you know uh he came out afterwards and said this is going to be a long hard fight with inflation and we're going to have to just bear down and, and grin and take it i mean like two days after he was like there was a very positive theme to what he had to say about raising rates and now he was talking about he kind of went completely the different direction there so i guess you know looking at, at what he said and raising the rates and those kind of things tanner looking at the overall economy right now what are your thoughts there and how do you foresee 
more long-term interest, whether they raise them or leave them the same. I guess, what's your thoughts there going into 23? Well, I got a couple of thoughts on uh, the latest move when they raised rates uh, half a point instead of 75 points like they done in the prior, prior four uh, meetings. Uh, I think the Fed is uh, trying to claw back some of its credibility that it lost a year ago when it said uh, that inflation was transitory. And uh, they want to display themselves as an organization that is data-based. And when they were saying all that transitory talk a year ago, that was all kind of conjecture. Uh, it was not data-based. And so now here they are a year later, and the markets are having a hard time believing uh, what they're saying. When, they're, when the Fed is saying, making these statements, they're going to continue raising rates well into 2023, uh, throughout 2023, or that it's going to be elevated, and then not till perhaps 2024 until we see a decrease. The markets are not really believing it. Uh, because they burned their credibility. So he's got to make these statements over and over and over again that we're going to keep raising rates. Uh, and so when the data comes out that inflation is indeed coming down, it is slowing, they have to follow uh, the data and rather than rather than getting ahead of the data. And when, the, when inflation has dis displayed uh, several data points now of coming down after after peaking over 9% earlier this year. Okay, they, now they've got some data in their pocket to where they have to follow through on what they said earlier, and they have to slow the pace of the increase. They have to demonstrate to the marketplace that they're taking data seriously. So now the challenge going forward is, as inflation will likely continue to come down, based on what we've seen with commodity prices having coming down, having uh, seen retail sales, uh, slowing with consumers and things like that. Uh, we're going to probably see inflation uh, numbers still follow this trend of going down into 2023. The risk, however, is if the Fed takes its foot off the brake too soon, and this is what everyone's referring back to uh, in the, what happened in the 1970s with Arthur Burns. He was the Fed chairman back in the 1970s who saw a similar trend. He, he, he was coming off of uh, high, high levels of inflation. The inflation numbers started coming down. He said, okay, we're done uh, with our financial or with our monetary tightening. And then what happened? The markets went berserk, or the, the inflation went out of control again uh, because he took his foot off the brake way too soon. and. Uh, Jay Powell is well aware of this. He does not want the legacy of uh, Arthur Burns, of having taken his foot off the brake too soon and letting inflation spiral out of control. And then it, it was up to Paul Volcker uh, several years later to finally get it to, to arrest that uh, inflation uh, and stop it from rising. And he, it was very painful. So he does not want that. Uh, to happen. He does not want to be known as the Fed chair who messed this up twice after ca calling inflation transitory and then following up with taking his foot off the brake too soon and then it gets out of control again. He does not want that legacy. So he has been making these statements over and over and over again. Uh, we're going to keep our foot on the brake. We're going to see what happens uh, when the new data comes in. 
We're going to keep it. Uh, we're going to keep raising rates into 2023, and then we're going to keep it on. Keep our foot on the brake, uh, and we're not going to lower rates uh, because that would be too soon. We need to see that uh, these policies, which can take up to a year really to go into effect, or to see of the effects in the economy, it can take a, that long. And so he's going to take a very, very cautious approach before he starts taking his foot off the brake. Uh, because of what we saw with Arthur Burns uh, back in the 1970s. So he's sending these statements. Yes, I see the data. Inflation is easy. And then he follows up with these repeated statements. But we can't take our foot off the brake too soon because we have to see what if, if uh, our rate, raises, rate increases that we've done so far are actually having an effect. So he's he's very, he's being very cautious and he's kind of hedging these his mo his uh, his next moves by uh, transmitting these statements that listen take me seriously please because he really biffed it <laughs> last time a year ago by making those statements about trans inflation uh, being transitory so that's the position he's in right now it's it's got to be data based but he can't he can't take his foot off too fast because you end up with the Arthur Burns problem and inflation spirals out of control. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you talked a little bit about China and there, what you're talking about there. What's Kobank's position on how inflation will be infected worldwide when you start looking at if China does come back online full at 100%? Well, the concern, I think, uh, around the world is uh, not just Kobank, but anybody who's watching the markets and watching China is that as they open up their economy uh, from COVID, uh, you're seeing a lot of hospitalizations right now. A lot of people do not have immunity to COVID because they were locked down and didn't get exposure to it. And they don't have an effective vaccine. And so as they do this quick reopen, we're hearing these reports of uh, mass hospitalizations and uh, death rates are up. Uh, the mortuaries are uh, in business uh, and it's it's been a rough reopening. And that's going to be impacting the economy. And I was reading this morning how it's impacting uh, their economy in various uh, ways. For instance, there was the latest uh, the latest blockbuster movie, Avatar 2, that just came out. And China, the last movie, Avatar 1, this, this, we're getting down, going down a rabbit hole here, uh, Casey. But the last one was huge over in China. But this time, it was really disappointing. And why was that? All these people are afraid of getting COVID, and they don't want to go to the movie theater which means they're not buying other things. They, they're not going to shopping malls. They're not, still not going to restaurants. They're still not consuming uh, like they used to. So because of uh, the, the fear of the consumer, because of the, uh, the, this, you know, this uh, very clumsy reopening, but they're going to have to reopen at some time, but, it, but it's very clumsy nonetheless because they don't have an effective vaccine. You've got consumers that are scared out of their wits. It's going to take time, and that's going to be impacting their their economy, and that therefore that's going to be impacting their imports uh, of all kinds, uh, especially your agriculture. Uh, you know, for dairy, for instance, that's going to be impacting their dairy imports, and that's the sector I cover mostly. So I think um, it's something that we're just going to have to keep an eye on. They have to reopen their economy. They cannot keep doing these lockdowns like they've done in the past. And I think the leadership in China has figured it out that that's not going to work. That is not sustainable. So it's going to be a rough reopening for the next quarter, probably. 
uh, that's going to be impacting the Chinese economy, that's going to be impacting their currency. The Chinese yuan is going to go down conceivably with this rough reopening, uh, and that's going to be thereby supporting the value of the U.S. dollar. It's going to be capital flight, all those kind of things that lift the value of the dollar. I think that would be the uh, the ups- that there's probably more upside risk here for the dollar that would be uh, impacting our ex- exports and you know, with paired with the uh, weakening uh, uh, consumer over in uh, China. So a lot of things there uh, on trade that really all come back to China and how they they man- they manage this reopening. It's probably going to be a little ugly for a while. Okay. That makes sense. <clears throat> um, so when you're looking at, let's talk about currencies then for a little bit. So you look at what the dollar's doing. Dollar's been sliding here over the last uh, week or so. You know, it's been, you've seen some up and down there, but this week it's really, it's really turning down. Um, take a look at what the uh, Brazilian Real's doing and what you see, you know, you just talked about the yuan and those kind of things. So looking at how the dollar is positioning into the key export season for, for the U.S. dollar, I mean, for the U.S., um, uh, crop cropping uh, year, I guess. What are your thoughts there, and how do you think that's going to affect twenty three? Well, this being the key shipping season for uh, grains and oil seeds, especially soybeans, uh, that's going to help probably uh, put some tailwind behind our exports. But you got to remember, uh, everybody is still anticipating a, a huge Brazilian soybean crop coming on, so uh, that's going to be bearish there. The just the sheer fundamentals of having a record large Brazilian crop coming online here starting in the next month. So uh, I would anticipate my feeling would be that uh, with the dollar having come down off the highs, we're still high historically, uh, but having come off the highs established back in August, we've kind of trailed off since that's going to add a little bit more uh, tailwind. Uh, But I think uh, longer term here, we got to look at what the, what happens in Brazil and uh, when that start, when that crop starts coming online, it's going to be a big one. And so, I think the markets are going to have to be uh, dialing that in. It's going to be a bearish influence on U.S. markets. Right. All right. So, one thing you've been watching a lot of here of late, you see uh, crush rates have been really high. Just recorded a podcast, Sean Hackett, kind of around this topic. Crush rates have been high with uh, soybean crush rates, and then you start looking at this thirst for biodiesel that we're starting to see emerge, whether it's. Uh, on the aviation side or whether it's on, um, you know, just the actual over the road diesel side. So I guess looking at that, you start taking a look at the number of acres it's going to take to really make an impact with biodiesel, like, like, uh, um, ethanol is made. There's a lot of acres that need to go to soybeans to make that happen. Has CoBank thought about any of that? And, and, and what's your thoughts there going into 23 as planted acres might start peaking its head here before too long. Our grains and oil seeds analyst, uh, Ken Zuckerberg, uh, authored a piece on that uh, earlier this year. And uh, it was a really popular piece. Uh, it's one of the most read pieces that we came out with this year. Yeah, I think I think perhaps it was the number one. It was, clearly, it was one of our most popular research pieces we did. So I encourage you to go to cobank.com and read that. Um, now, there's, you know, the renewable uh, diesel story has been uh, the highlight of, uh, of 2022 and uh, the prior year, a lot of crush capacity coming online. And with diesel prices uh, really having been so high this year compared to gasoline prices, that's created more of a thesis there underneath uh, renewable diesel. When you, It makes more sense to blend uh, that alternative uh, uh, fuel. And so I think uh, that's obviously been a, 
been a positive there for renewable diesel because of the diesel store. It's just been, we're lacking in diesel supplies and that's lifted diesel prices and that's put a floor uh, under uh, renewable diesel prices and soybean oil prices. Now that that's going to change over time, but uh, that's really been uh, the key success story here. Now, where do these soybeans come from over time? You know, the market's going to work that out. Um, we'll see how fast uh, uh, the capacity comes online and if, you know, how much exports we lose and how Brazil will backfill those uh, exports uh, over time. Uh, and Argentina, by the way, they would backfill that. But right now, Argentina is struggling with the drought. Uh, but it'd be a shifting of bushels around the world. And a lot of those uh, soybean bushels would be kept here in the U.S. while Brazil backfills uh, those export markets. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, you know, it just takes time for the markets to work that out. But uh, right now, there's clearly a positive uh, uh, trend uh, for soybeans, uh, soybean acres. Um, you know, Ken Zuckerberg would have uh, more insights on what he thinks, uh, what that looks like uh, coming up on this spring. Uh, but I would imagine there would probably be uh, a trend for more soybean acres, especially in those uh, those flex states where you have a lot of other crops, like Kansas, for instance, uh, where a lot acres shift between corn, wheat, soybeans, and sorghum. Uh, there's more flexibility in the rotations there, where compared to like in Iowa, it's a corn, soy, corn, soy rotation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I would say my feeling, having been a grains analyst uh, in my previous life, uh, you got to watch those flex states, especially in the plains. Right on. Okay. All right. Let's jump over and talk about what your specialty is. Then let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the dairy market. Um, a lot of fluctuation there because it's all revolving around, um, well, at least in my opinion, mostly revolving around high feed prices and what you see there. I mean, if you look at corn, if you look at, at hay, you look at all the components, yeah. and everything that's there, there's a lot of, of, uh, of high feed demand right now um and it's very expensive to to get that stuff to where it needs to go looking at the dairy market over the next uh going into 23 what are your thoughts there well you just said it right there it's the feed story uh that's going to be that's not going away uh the high cost on feed um yeah as we head into 2023 you know we're, we're going to be looking at what happens with acres between corn and beans and uh, we're going to have soybean availability because of the crush, expanded crush capacity. Uh, but at the, at the same time, you still have drought on across the western half of the United States in uh, key feed growing regions. And so that's going to be uh, putting a floor under hay and corn prices. And as we see milk prices moderate and start to slowly come down, because we have seen a response here in the United States and over in Europe, uh, where we where milk collections have bumped up a little bit following a year of record high milk prices, farmers were able to increase milk production, and so milk availability has loosened up, and that's pulled prices down a little bit. Now we're not going to see a collapse in milk prices. That's just not conceivably possible because the cost of producing milk is so so high because of the feed story, and so we're not going to see a ramp rapid increase in cow numbers. Uh, because of that. And so we think that uh, any correction to the downside is going to be limited. And then when we do hit that plateau or that bottom, if you will, uh, on milk prices, I don't think we're going to see a big sh- shift later this year either, uh, because I think you know, farmers are going to be trying to uh, maintain their herd sizes. So once you 
once you get further out to 2023, it obviously gets blurrier. But the first part of 2023, we're definitely going to see an erosion of mar uh, of margins at the farmer level. That being said, uh, farmers are coming off of a phenomenal year of uh, record high uh, milk prices. There's a lot of farmers. This is probably the best year in uh, milking cows they've ever had. And we are uh, anticipating a lot of uh, deferment of income into 2023 among uh, uh, dairy farmers. Uh, they're deferring milk checks uh, with their dairy co-ops, who are our direct borrowers. And uh, they're deferring that income into 2023 because this year was so good. And so they want to defer that tax liability uh, into the next year. And so that's going to uh, add some buffer uh, to their balance sheets uh, next year. So although we are anticipating an erosion of markets, uh, or excuse me, an erosion of margins among dairy producers, uh, I think the what we've seen and what we're hearing is that it's not going to be a terrible erosion uh, and there is going to be some carryover income from this year. Okay. So when you're looking at, um, you know, my question just totally lost my question. I was going to ask you. Having one of those, what do they call that? A senior moment? Is that what they call it? You're not that old, Casey. <laughs> we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Um, yeah, a good one too. It was, it was a probably it's probably one of those ones that was going to get me an Emmy. I can't remember what it was now. When uh, when to uh, short milk futures? <laughs> if you don't know that, just keep that to yourself. We can talk about that offline. <laughs> um, looking at uh. Oh, yeah. Okay. On-farm income. So looking at on-farm income right now, as you look across, a lot of government payments are going to be going away in 23. What's Kobe's thought about that and how that's going to affect what they see happening as far as on-farm income goes? Well, similar to what we're seeing just in dairy, uh, this is going to be a phenomenal year for net farm income. Uh, most farmers, not all, but most, uh, had an absolutely phenomenal year if they were able to produce a crop. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's elevated, uh, <clears throat> excuse me again, sorry, um, uh, working capital. And so that's going to be carrying over into next year, uh, adding a fairly strong cushion uh, underneath farmers and ranchers uh, as we see an erosion of margins across all of most of agriculture. And uh, so I think, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, we're, we're Next year is not going to be bad for agriculture, and so what? It's gonna, it's not going to be as good as this year uh, because as commodity prices come down and uh, production costs remain elevated, uh, then we're going to see an erosion of markets. Uh, as you know, it's quite predictable. Uh, borrowing costs are going to be going up. Um, there's there are some uh, positives I would point out though that we are seeing uh, fuel costs trending lower. Uh, that's great for uh, farmers and ranchers. Uh, we're all, we are seeing um, other costs uh, like cost of construction materials uh, that those are declining as well. That's going to typically go down during a recession. So if you're wanting to build a new barn or uh, add any new infrastructure on the farm or any warehousing space, anything up and down the agricultural supply chain, those costs will be moderating uh, in 2023. And so that's going to be helping uh, take the edge off of uh, any erosion of margins. Uh, but I'd say, that, you know, as we look forward in the next year, there's clearly going to be a drop off of the record high incomes that we saw this year. And, uh, but I, but I'd also say at the same time, 
it's hard to say it's going to be catastrophic when farmers are coming into that year with so much cash. The working capital need the working capital is going to be phenomenal. Yep. Whoa. I fell out of my chair. So excited with that answer. I fell out of my chair there. They had, <coughs> they had a, uh, so, so looking on what's going on with, with that and, and, and how the on-farm income is going to, you're hitting on my next topic here. Finally here, just talk a little bit about inputs going into 23. We saw from 21 to 22, there were huge increases in, in inputs, obviously with shortages and supply and, you know, Ukraine war and, and Ukraine Russia war and those kind of things. Uh, the reports that I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting kind of a mixed bag. Some guys say, you know what, hey, it's not much different than what I saw last year. Some guys, man, this is a big jump from last year, which depending on when you bought, you might have bought before yeah. price increases and those kind of things. But, you know, with CoBank, you know, being a being a key lender to some of these co-ops that are be that'll be selling these uh these inputs, I guess as you look at that, what are your thoughts about the inputs moving into 23 and and or do you have any real concerns about rising prices there? Well, if you look at what's going on with fertilizer prices, uh, again, Ken Zuckerberg, our greens and farm <clears throat> supply analyst, he's he's uh, written about this a fair amount. Uh, prices are trending off the highs, and that's an absolute positive. Uh, and but compared year over year, they're still higher. Uh, again, depending upon where you where you bought, uh, when you contracted. Uh, I think the concern going into twenty twenty three that even though uh, prices are off the highs, we got to watch what's going on over in Europe. Uh, especially with their natural gas situation, and if uh, if they start getting really low on their nat gas reserves, we're going to start. That's going to be elevating their um, their energy, uh, their costs, uh, their natural gas prices, and our natural uh, liquefied natural gas or LNG shipments uh, are going to go fill that uh, market. You're going to fill that void. That's going to elevate nat gas prices here in the U.S. Nat gas is the feedstock for so much of our farm inputs. Uh, whether you're talking fertilizer or uh, um, crop protectants. And so that's going to put a floor under prices here in the U.S. So I think uh, the story is twofold there. Yeah, we're off the highs, but we're higher than we were a year ago. And uh, you got to keep it on, keep an eye in the next few months as we head deeper into winter and how much depletion of net gas we see in Europe. That could further elevate uh fertilizer prices and other input costs here in the u.s right on okay tanner good stuff as usual man folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at cobank what's the best way to do that you can see, on, see us on our website cobank.com if you want to read our research it's on the knowledge exchange tab and uh, we got all of our research published right there on the website excellent good so go check that out there's lots of good information there for absolutely free it's pretty not very often you get that kind of information for free. So check that out. So there's no free lunch, Casey. It's <laughs> <laughs> everything has a cost somewhere in the line, right? Right. There's here. a cost. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's going out of somebody's margin. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. I all better right. stop right there. I want to keep my job. <laughs> no, it's all to the benefit of our borrowers. Um, right. we'll to our borrowers sharing what well, our insights to help them uh, navigate uh, risks and opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of stuff to navigate right now, for sure. So, Tanner, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year if we don't get a talk before between now and then. All right, you too. Hi, bud. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this over on the uh, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is cleverly named the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. So go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. 
and I've got some blogs to get posted over there. So I'll hopefully have those posted here this week. So everybody can check those out. Um, Moving on summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 2023. Check that out. If you're one of the first 150 people to sign up for that, Axon Tire picks up the first $50 of that of that uh, registration fee. So if you're interested in doing that, send me an email at movingironpodcast, movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get your name on that list. So with that, uh, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, I'll take a little break here. So we'll, you'll hear from me probably right around back around the first of the year. So I uh, greatly appreciate everybody what you've done for me and this podcast and guys like Tanner make it pretty easy for me to be successful. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Tanner empty. Excuse my folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket. The next time you sell a piece of ag equipment to find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.